Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. I hope that you are well today and that wherever you are in this world and wherever you are in life, it's a little bit joyful. There's a sprinkling of hope and light upon you. Now, childhood. What can we say about childhood? That's one thing that we can say that we have all experienced as adults, and it differs for each one of us. They say that children are the promise of tomorrow, and also that our childhood is the promise of our life. I think that for me especially, and I'm sure for many of you out there, we all knew as children what we loved what we like to do, what we wanted to do. And our dreams seem to be more clearer and more defined somehow. So I think it's important that we support children in these dreams because it's then that all this type of beauty is born into existence of really supporting children and young adults in realizing their dreams. So it's not just us as adults that have dreams, but it's important to nourish and encourage from a very early age that which is going to be important for our life. And that's why I'm really pleased to have my guest here today, which is the lovely Helen Wells. Helen is an award-winning UK family lifestyle blogger. She started her blog, Actually Mummy, in 2011, when she realised that talking to the four walls and a baby was never going to be enough in life. You know, it's one of those sort of epiphany moments, I think. Helen now writes about the whole spectrum of raising her teenage son and daughter and actually offers help to other parents. She's also a podcaster. Her podcast, Teenage Kicks, aims to take the fear out of parenting a teenager, especially, and to highlight the important impact of mental health during the teenage years. And she does lots of other things, which she's going to tell us all about today. And she is going to share her wonderful journey and her story about how it all began and where she's going to with it. So welcome, Helen. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hello, Helen. I'm very pleased that you're here today. Thank you for joining me. You're so welcome. It's lovely to chat, isn't it, and connect at the moment. Oh, it is actually, you know, uh, it's one of the delights of really these days now that we can actually still connect with people on some level um, to not feel so isolated and not feel so alone and also bring people together, you know, even if it's just, you know, like us doing the podcast, even if it's for an hour or something, but people can feel connected to each other, can't they? Yeah, I mean, thank God for the internet, really, honestly, thank goodness for Zoom. (laughs) I mean, you know, well, you know, there's good and bad, as they say in everything, but this is one of the good things, is that we're still able to connect and do beautiful things together, isn't it? And also, I don't know, it sort of makes the world a smaller place, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking as you were saying that, how lovely it is to still be able to meet new people like you would if you were going to meetings at work and out in the street. You can still Mm. chat to people you've never spoken to to before and it's just so nice. I know, it, it is wonderful and, you know, you get a glimpse into their life, like we're going to get a glimpse into your life and you're going to tell us a little bit about where this all started for you and a little bit about your story Helen. Yeah absolutely do you want me to just dive in? Yes do 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 it you know follow your heart and um, start from the beginning sort of you know when you had your children and how you had that moment when you know you said the four walls were never going to be enough so take it back to there. Yeah, well, um, I had previously been um, in quite a senior role in a big blue chip company. And so taking time off to look after children just kind of messed with my brain a little bit. (laughs) I lost, uh, you know, suddenly lost contact with a lot of people, Not, not fully, but, you know, I lost all of that routine of my day where I was the one that people came to for advice instruction guidance um and um now suddenly i was the one at the beck and call of this very unreasonable human being (laughs) Mm. Uh, with uh, you know as i saw at the time very little reward because it's exhausting having a new baby um but i you know like most mothers i pushed on through that because i love my kids and i wanted to be with them um and we we were very fortunate to be privileged enough that that was possible but yeah i got my daughter to i think it was about 6 and my son would have been coming up to 4 and i just thought whilst i can't go back to the 24/7 more than full time job that i had before i have to be able to do something and um Somehow I just started writing. I think I, because in that day there was Mum's Net um, and not very much actually, but it's quite startling to think that just 15 years ago, my daughter's 15 and a bit, there wasn't an awful lot on the internet. It was just kind of dial-in forums and email lists. And um, I've been there obviously looking for baby help. My daughter had reflux. So I've, I've become very aware of the parenting community online. And I stumbled across one day a blog. I'd never seen a blog before. It wasn't a mummy blog, funnily enough, which most of them are. It was a daddy blog, which back in the day was quite unusual, I think. Mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, he's quite amusing. I quite like his take on life for the baby. I could do that. And so I just started writing and I wrote about the adventures of my daughter that's where the name came from because you know small kids when they start talking the first kind of grown-up stuff they say sounds really amusing mm, mm. and hers was actually mummy and <laughs> she would have been like <laughs> actually mummy I don't think I'll have beans on toast today you know that kind of <laughs> nonsense yes. That makes you laugh as a parent and you gush and think it's just so amazing. But it, it stuck with us. And so that became the title of my mummy blog. Right. Now, did you, when you had your daughter, first of all, did you give up work completely or were you still sort of working? No, I stopped. Because, in fact, I'd stopped the year before because um, we struggled to conceive Mm-hmm. Um, I have polycystic ovaries and all sorts of things just conspired against us. And I had um, two very early miscarriages and was eventually diagnosed that with the polycystic ovaries I had and our various complications. Most of my pregnancies probably would end in miscarriage. And I was 33 at the time. So I knew we didn't have a lot of time to play around like that. Mm. Um, and of course it was saddening so we um had to have IVF and it was very time consuming emotionally draining and I had the opportunity at work to take quite a good redundancy package I'd been with them a long time Uh, obviously I was at a very senior level and so that's what I did and gave myself that time off um so of course by the time we had my daughter 
I'd not been working for over a year and it just carried on that way. Uh, I was exhausted. She was a, a, a reflux baby, which uh, is exhausting in itself. I found parenthood um, quite quite demanding. Uh, looking back, I probably had postnatal depression, but didn't didn't identify that at the time. Mm. Um, definitely identified it again after my son was born and went and got help then. Um, it was draining, tiring, exhausting, and it took a, it took a physical impact on me. I have um, a condition called fibromyalgia. Yes, I'm aware of it. Yes. Yeah, with just you know, it has no clinical diagnosis or cure or treatment. It just is pain all over the body, which flares up seemingly randomly, but definitely now I understand it better. Looking back with tiredness and exhaustion and stress and worry about children. I mean, gosh, I'm digressing a lot here, but my... Um, no, no, it's interesting. It's interesting. Please, you know, feel free to say. <laughs> my daughter, when she was three weeks old, choked and turned blue and um, we called oh, an dear. ambulance. And that was, and she, you know, she was fine, but that was when she was diagnosed with quite severe reflux um and so at that point I could she was asleep when it happened um she, oh she sort of vomited a little it's horrible but she sort of vomited a little bit which is what they do with reflux mm -hmm. she was waking up vomited a bit and she was on her back and so she choked and so at that point I decided well I can't sleep if she's asleep so you know that got obviously very 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 stressful on my body um it's a vicious circle isn't it because you know, I, I'm very familiar with fibromyalgia. So I know also that it's a stress-related condition as well. Yeah. But once you are in the pain and you have all these pains, then it makes you stress again. So really, it's like a circle that you go around. And then you're stressed because you've got the pain. And because you've got the pain, then you're stressed. And, you know, it, it's difficult to break that cycle. Yeah, it is. And I've done a lot of work on my own mental health. I've had various therapies, counselling, CBT, to get that under control. And, you know, largely it is. Uh, unfortunately, I'm, menopause seems to have quite a big impact on it. So I'm, I'm having to work quite hard on it again at the moment. But yeah, it, it, it takes a lot of mental energy to, to keep it under control, if you like. It is. And it's one of those unseen types of illnesses that people think well you know you look okay well yeah. yes but um actually i feel not okay yes you know and it's difficult to explain it to somebody and that's why people also don't understand hidden disabilities what actually impact they have on people that's why we never really quite know when we meet somebody what they're actually going through Yes, that is it totally. And that's my whole purpose now in terms of the content I put out there and the way I approach other people is to never assume anything about their lives, even people I know well. Because what I've learned over 53 years of, of observation and, and my own little traumas is everybody probably has something going on in their life that is painful for them to varying degrees. Very and we true. can't judge that. Mm -hmm. And you know how it is sometimes when we feel rough. I always say, you know, people ask me and I sometimes, you know, I say I feel rough like an old rooster. And you and people they laugh, but you know, when you're feeling rough and you don't feel yourself or you're in pain or whatever it is, you have to really make an effort to number one, get out of bed. Number two, make the bed. Um, <laughs> actually eat anything and be sort of decent in a decent type of mood to do anything. So yeah. you don't know the struggle that someone has actually gone through even to get out onto the road and mm. go to the shops. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I very much am um, uh, kind of a poster girl for that because I, I run, um, I dress well, I, I, I'm very 
confident when I'm out with people, you know, because of the roles that I've had in life, I, I go to everything. I show up to drinks nights in lockdown. <laughs> I, I cook, I parent well. Um, and I now sound like I'm bragging, but I know these things about me. There are plenty of things I don't do very well, but on the surface, I look like I'm nailing life and, yes. and, and I kind of am, but it's costing me quite a lot to do it. And no one sees that. No one sees the bravery behind it because um, that's something, you know, it's like unsung heroes. You really don't know what someone is going through. They may look good mm. and they may be fulfilling a role at that moment. But when that role is finished for that day, when they go back home, you know, as I always say, when you take your bra and your makeup and everything off and, you know, you, only you know how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest of my family, because that's exactly what I do. Yeah. <laughs> it comes off, the pyjamas go on. Yes. And I'm not interested in talking about anything. Thank you for the rest of the evening. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, my family don't get the best of me. Well, my kids tend to most of the time because I'm very dedicated <laughs> to that. But, yeah, my poor husband, bless him. <laughs> Well, no, because the thing is, maybe you don't want to be friendly that <laughs> evening, you know, and, and I just don't want to be friendly. I was talking to someone the other day about this, and it's a known thing with me. And, you know, when you have sort of a, a public life, so to speak, like you and I do, you have to show up. You have to do what you have to do, regardless of what hardships, regardless of what conditions or health issues you have. You've got to do what you've got to do somehow. And I think that's somehow a strength of character to a point. And certain types of people, you know, just sort of get on with it. But sometimes when people invite me and I'll just say, I don't want to go. Mm. And they say, well, why not? I said, I don't fancy being friendly today. Yeah, I <laughs> and I don't because it's too much sometimes. And I think we all need that space of... Um, just doing nothing you know getting into the pajamas sitting maybe you know with the curtains shut watching something and just not talking and not being friendly because it takes a lot it, it takes a lot doesn't it communicating with people all the time yeah it does actually it's quite tiring especially mm. when you're talking with people that you don't know you really you are on point you you mm. you bring your game to these meetings and and you are the best you can be which is right and that's a great example to set to my kids and I want them to see their mum doing that but equally I you know I'm also very conscious of um and this is where I think I do let them down of not wanting them to think it's right and necessary to be on your best game all of the time, that it is appropriate and necessary to, to take time out and do the things that you love for no good reason other than that you love them. That's yes. quite I don't, very I, important. Do that. I don't model that enough for them. You know, I do burn out a little bit. But you know, Helen, the thing is, I, I've always found this in life so far, I don't know about you, but when you show your frailty as a human being, mostly other human beings, if they're decent, will show their frailty. So they will feel comfortable. If you say, you know what, I'm having actually a bad day and I'm not in a good mood, mostly people will say, actually, neither am I, but I didn't want to say. And I think that then teaches people to be human because somehow we've forgotten how to be human it's all sort of running around like superheroes but actually we need to see more of the human side of us yeah that is really true and I'm, I'm actually thinking that lockdown has allowed people to show more frailty um yes certainly my friends have talked to me more about what worries them and I can see their concerns. Um, whereas previously we were all just busy getting on with being teachers and writers and, you know, florists and whatever we were. Mm. Um, now we've got this space and time to, um, well, writers don't have space and time because we're just at yes. home with our computers. But um, you know what I mean? We've got this space and time to just reflect, I think. It's true because, you know, as you said, whether you're a florist or you're a waiter or a restaurant owner or a 
singer or a dancer, one thing that I've seen throughout this whole lockdown, you know, worldwide, is it's irrelevant. What's relevant is who are you as a person? Mm. You know, I'm never interested in what people do. I'm interested in who people are. Totally. Totally. I love that, actually. And that is something that I do talk to my kids about. Do you? Yeah, I do try to. um, I do try to make them think about how other people in their lives might be feeling when they've got their own issues. So if my kids come home with a particular uh, a beef with somebody over something, I will try to get them to put themselves in that person's shoes and understand where that person's coming from. Because all the people in their life are, are good. They've got both of them. They're lucky. They've got great friends. So, but you know, kids bicker and, and moan about each other well adults do as well but kids seem to do it a little bit more overtly um and I do think it's important for them to think okay well why is he or she doing that saying that behaving like that mm. let's think about who they are and and what they've got going on in their lives at the moment I do think that's important I think it's important I think you're right because I grew up with my parents and also with my grandparents and they were much older you know and um for about seven years of my life and what I realized was growing up and seeing the frailty of them Mm. taught me actually maybe that person's having a bad day because they're not well or someone's someone's done something or they're not feeling too good so I think showing your frailty to your children or to your close ones is actually a good thing because it actually maybe opens their heart to compassion more because they can always look back in life and say maybe it's like mum or dad or grandma or granddad or whoever it is you know and they were just having a bad day mm-hmm. I think it teaches them because unless they know sadness I think it's difficult for people to show compassion totally agree yeah I totally agree we've um I I I suppose it's moving the conversation on to a completely different sphere but um talking about my daughter yes uh, as we talked about her before we started recording Mm -hmm. you know that she has a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes yes um there's so much about that and the thing and I've written about this on my blog and a lot of my readers are parents of newly diagnosed children with diabetes who come through grief and shock for um a vision of a life that is going to be okay despite what's just happened to them Um, and I know I wanted that at the time but one of the things that I've written that gets the most reaction from other parents is and I wasn't able to write this until four years in but the things that I am grateful for because of that diagnosis and the things that I believe she is better for because of it and one of those is empathy yeah I don't think that children find it very easy at all to empathize and I think you know kids are they've got one goal in life and that is them until they grow up and start to realize that other people have needs too but her going through the pain of that and the sadness of that because it is a huge sadness and you do it you do process it as a grief how old was she when she was diagnosed Helen she was just about to turn 10 Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think going through that really taught her it was a shock obviously and it taught mm. her to notice other people's frailties if you like and other people's things that upset them and make them unhappy um, I, I really believe she is better for that is she a sensitive soul she's a very strong person actually um, mm. And I'm so thankful for that because diabetes is incredibly difficult for anyone, but for a child, it's, it's such a blow. Um, But yes, she feels things quite deeply, um, but she's also incredibly resilient. She, she Mm. bounces out of them. She, she dwells and she wants support and then she comes through them and moves on. And she's a very happy girl generally. 
how old is she now? Uh, she's almost 16. Um, so I say generally, you know, she's a teenager. So sometimes yeah, of she, course. Yeah. she's not. But I would say she is a, quite a sunny, happy kind of person. She always has been. Um, but yeah, this this kind of... It didn't, dra- it didn't ever drag her down, but it did make her sad. And that was incredibly difficult to see because she's not a sad kind of person. She does say to me now occasionally, actually... She doesn't like to think too much about her diabetes because if she spends more than 10 minutes thinking about it, she will cry. And so she just doesn't. She just deals with what she has to deal with every day and doesn't dwell too much on the longevity and the the foreverness of it all. I think that's a wise thing also, you know, because so many people have so many conditions, but if you dwell on it, it can actually make it worse. So it's something that you one has to learn to live with in yeah. the best way that they can and in fact you know it's a strange thing to say but it can make people better people absolutely she has so so many good qualities because of this mm. she i mean as i say empathy is the biggest and that's what i see in her um but you know she's very caring she's very practical she's gone from being a disorganized mess of a child to being someone who can keep track of all the things she needs to have with her at any time um and manage effectively a hormone blood glucose and insulin are hormones um and that's impossible to to control and how does that actually work helen tell us a little bit about it so for the listeners out there um also because you know knowledge is power how are people different from there are two types of diabetes aren't there yes what's the difference yes so um type one and type two there are others but largely it's type one and two Mm -hmm. um type two diabetes is the one that hits the media um and can be related to lifestyle and food choices um, although it, it's, it, it's a bit of a blanket criticism to say that someone ate too much and exercised too little and that's why they're di- diabetic. There are, I, mm. you know, I know skinny marathon runners with type 2 diabetes, so it's not, mm-hmm. not that simple. But yeah. one that most people with diabetes have, um, and it's usually diagnosed later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, type 1 is nothing to do with um food and lifestyle at all uh it's an autoimmune condition so it's very similar in its origins to things like hay fever asthma ulcerative colitis crohn's disease all of those things that are very in seriousness on the spectrum but are unexplained Mm. nobody knows why they start but something Mm. in the immune system decides to attack a part of the body and in type 1 diabetes it attacks the pancreas um, and the pancreas can no longer make insulin. And it's not a question of insulin resistant. And if you lose weight and eat less sugar, then you can reverse it. You absolutely can't. The pancreas has just stopped being able to produce insulin. So she has to inject insulin. Yes. So for the first year, she um, took between four and 12 injections of insulin a day. Um, That's because you need to take insulin on a regular basis to keep on top of everything that's going on in your body that you're not in control of. And Mm -hmm. then you have to take additional insulin every time you eat carbohydrate because carbohydrate will turn into blood into glucose in the blood so you inject insulin you you basically calculate the amount of carbohydrate on your plate then you work out the insulin needed to cover that and then you inject and eat all of it oh now does she how often does she have to do it or is it really depending upon the day yeah, totally can. I mean, it depends on it depends on how much she wants to eat. So for a long time, she did not eat snacks, and you know, little kid didn't eat snacks between meals because she really didn't want another injection. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on um, also what is going on in your life. So especially a child, when mm. you grow, 
growth hormone hits your system and you don't know it's coming obviously and growth hormone increases um the blood glucose levels significantly and so you know there are times when i've given her 20 doses of insulin five of which were while she was asleep because it's actually true you know if we didn't have it it would be fascinating to research she you do grow in your sleep it's true and you grow in the summer holidays as well (laughs) Really? Absolutely right. You go to sleep and you can see. We have a blood glucose um, uh, sensor now she wears. And every five minutes I can see on my phone what her sugar levels are. Um, And I can see when she's fallen asleep. And I can see when she's gone to bed and and not gone to sleep when she should have. Because as soon as she falls asleep, there is almost invariably a surge in blood sugar. And so... she needs more insulin to get that into a sensible range now this is a very disciplined lifestyle isn't it It yeah it is is. not just for her but for the whole family I suppose yeah I mean she's now she has an insulin pump which just means we tell the pump what to do so it doesn't take over but it just means instead of getting an injection pen out and taking an injection every time you just press a few buttons and the insulin delivers into, into under the skin. Um, so we are a little bit more able to be spontaneous and flexible around our food. Um, and the things that we do, but we do, it's disciplined in the sense that, um, whatever she does will have an impact on her blood sugar levels. And so we have to take everything with us just in case, Mm-hmm. Um, and for a child you know it's, it's getting less so as a teenager but for a child you know, they, they're spontaneous they see a badminton net in someone's garden they want to have a game and at that point you mark their mum is sitting there going I brought the Haribo I think I should feed her some of that now because obviously that's going to drop her blood sugar over the next half hour <laughs> stop mm-hmm. come here eat something hang on you're getting a bit low you're exercising too hard let's do a let's do a finger prick and test your blood sugar you know it is that kind of relentlessness it's a huge amount of devotion it is yeah yeah it is and it's also a coming to terms with the fact that you cannot be a perfectionist I was a perfectionist for sure and diabetes over the course of two or three years cured me of perfectionism because you do eventually realize that you've got no chance you absolutely cannot control blood glucose levels so that they settle where you want them to be. All you can do is fix yes. them when they do things wrong. And has it changed your outlook on life? Oh, absolutely. I was, as I said, a perfectionist. And I was one of those parents who, I've always been this person. I've always worried about the worst thing that could happen. Um, So even as a a small baby, I'd be worrying about um, their their teenage years or what they would be like when they went to university and would it be safe and would they have the terrible experiences that I had? Not that I had many, but, you know, I read something in the news and something terrible happened to a young girl and I'd be thinking, oh, my God, what if that happened to my child? My child's sitting there rolling around on the floor six months old. Yeah, I was that kind of person with diabetes it's so intense on a daily basis that you really can't think beyond the here and now and today you cannot worry about what it might do tomorrow because tomorrow it might be completely different to today and you have no control over that and so it's taught me to just live more in the moment and worry less about the future it's an incredible sort of blessing in a way that um you would never expect to be i have a lot of allergies and i remember going to the immunologist helen and um he said to me you know your body is giving you a profound compliment and i looked at him and i was only about 19 at the time and i'd always had a lot of allergies but i'd had an anaphylactic shock so i was looking at him and you know subsequently you know you have to carry an epipen and all of that and i remember thinking what the hell is he talking about I was only young and um, I said what do you mean he said well you see you will see in life that every day is the only day you have and I remember looking at him 
And I sort of understood. And then he said, because now is the only moment you have. So you can only take care of what you're eating now. You can't worry about tomorrow. So just go and enjoy your life and live your life in the now. So it was a huge thing, you know, for somebody relatively young. So I totally understand. You can't worry about what's going to happen because you're too busy being present in this moment. Yes. And the fact that it's something horrible that made that happen. Yeah isn't nice but it is as you say a blessing and something to be happy about as Mm. a result there is an upside absolutely to any serious life change it's just sometimes at the time very difficult to see it and you have to Mm. process that grief before you can before it dawns on you I I mean if the people reading my blog posts whose children have recently been diagnosed with diabetes We'll see if they go back to the beginning. At the beginning, I was writing, I was writing very emotional posts about how distressed I was and how upset I was. And how, I think I wrote one called Why I Can Never Be Happy Again, which breaks my heart now. Um, hmm. But then four years later, I was writing, um, I can't remember the title of it now, but it, it was a, it was maybe a not drowning, but waving thing. Uh, I think that's something, I think that's what mm. I call it. But like four reasons to be really glad that we've got type one diabetes in our life, which is a, quite a shocking headline. Yes. I mean, it, it is, it is, it is. But I totally understand you because in a way your daughter, it, and people will think I'm crazy, but I'm sure you'll understand me, Helen. She came to teach you all something, but not just all of you. In a way, she's an example because you have now gone on to teaching so many other people and giving them comfort. Yeah, absolutely. And I do, I feel very privileged for that. And I'm always so, um, so pleased when somebody gets in touch and says that a blog post I've written has affected them in a good way. Um, But I feel very privileged to have also given talks to recently diagnosed families for um, JDRF, which is the the type one diabetes charity. It's a very small charity, but I work with them and um, support other parents. So you um, have a blog and it's called Actually Mummy. Yeah, I mean... Where did that come from? (laughs) We were talking a little bit, but I'm sure the um, listeners would like to know, where did you get such an interesting title from? Ah, well, I was looking for for blog post titles, and there's lots of Mummy Up North and uh, Mummy in London and Mummy Likes to Bake and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought for um, search engine, I was quite savvy about it even then, for search engine purposes, it needed to have the word mummy in the title. It needed to be found when people were looking for mummy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, as I said, my daughter had this actually mummy. I don't think we'll go to the park today. Um, And um, obviously we went to the park. She wasn't that precocious, but (laughs) that's what kids do. Yeah. Um, and she was, you know, she was one of those kids that just, you know, she was a bit precocious, um, but it, we loved it. It, it. it was funny. So I'd already begun writing a diary for her um, when she was born. And for some very strange reason, and it may have had to do with the fact that I, she was only nine weeks old and I had already had two or three glasses of champagne on my birthday. I started writing in this lovely journal that someone had given me and I wrote in her, in her voice, which sounds so ridiculous now, but that is how my diary went. And when my husband read it and my family read it, they laughed out loud. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want our funny stories to entertain other people. Mm, mm. And so I wrote my blog for the first five or six years in her voice. And occasionally I allowed her brother in and wrote in his voice and it didn't work as, as well. It was always in her voice. <laughs> and it resonated and people loved it. Um, and I got a, a really lovely audience of parents. 
And because of that, brands started, I didn't even know this was a thing, but brands started to ask if they could send me things. I think it began with a, a pot of bubble bath um, and I would write about it on my site. And I thought, gosh, this is lovely. <laughs> it's rather handy (laughs) actually the the gifts as you if you want to call it that got bigger and I realized that um they were using my platform to advertise and I became savvy about it and now I charge money for that kind of um what an excellent idea and what sort of who can come on there and advertise so any family lifestyle brand, really. So, but it's a very broad catchment. So we've done bubble bath and shampoo. We've done, um, now that we've got older children, we've done smartphones and parenting apps. Uh, I've done, I did a big piece of work with O2 a few years ago about um, parental controls. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've done clothes and we've had, we've been lucky enough to have several gorgeous holidays that we've um, vlogged and vlogged about. So well, lovely. Yeah. And if people want to advertise with you, can they do so? Can they contact you um, and ask to be on your blog? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a contact form on my blog. I've got my, my email is out there in, in the public domain. It's all easily findable. Lots of people message me on Instagram or Twitter. Um, so yeah, I'm absolutely always open to talking with, with brands. Wonderful. Now, you also have a podcast called Teenage Kicks. Yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about that, Helen. Yeah, well, this again evolved from the blog because um, my kids being funny and cute uh, were appealing to lots of readers and then they grew up and they weren't quite so funny and not quite so cute and it wasn't as easy to write funny stories about them because the things that were happening in their life were much bigger and much more important to them than the silly things I'd been writing about previously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I struggled for a couple of years to come up with these. I, I have to say it was a deadly time. I, I really struggled to come up with decent narrative and stories for my blog. And then I noticed that as my kids started to become teenagers, nobody else was writing about parenting teenagers either so all the anecdotal tips and advice and inspiration that we used to get from each other when our kids were potty training or struggling to go into school as as brand new school um school children um had just dried up and it's logical because nobody wants to put their children's deeper problems online Mm. partly because partly out of respect and partly because when your kids are teenagers, they can read everything you've written about them. And so can their friends, more importantly. More importantly, yes. So I felt that parents of teenagers just suddenly had the rug pulled out from them from that point of view. They didn't have, they did not have that online support that they'd had before. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I wanted to put that back out there. But of course, I couldn't write about my own children's problems. I couldn't write about their friends' problems. And I didn't want to um, get into the whole rules and regulations of interviewing strangers' children. And so I I was actually going to blog originally. Um, I chose adults who had been through something difficult as a teenager. And that made it easy for them to talk and as I spoke to them over the internet I realized that a a live interview a podcast would be would be really shareable um, and really useful podcasts are just becoming the thing that a lot of parents go to now I think where they used to go to parent blogs they now do go to podcasts I listen to podcasts all the time I've got several um parenting mummy style podcasts that I listen to and they're very useful aren't they they're very useful it's like having someone in you know in the car or in the house and they're sort of giving you a little bit of info and it's like having a friend there yeah my couch to 5k running is terrible because 
as I'm running, I'm listening to things and going, oh, oh, that's really useful. I need to remember. And so I have to stop and email myself for something that I found useful. Um, so, yeah, I love that. And I wanted to provide that because there wasn't really a lot. I, I couldn't find anything when I started to search on podcasts. couldn't find anything about teenagers. Um, and so I started these interviews not really knowing where they would go. And I've had such good feedback from people about how much they've resonated. And I've so enjoyed the conversations. My guests have been really open, some of them about some truly awful things that happened to them. What sort of things have you done so far, Helen? What sort of subjects have you covered in the podcast? Well, I started with um, some, a, friend, a blogging friend of mine, actually, who I knew had been expelled from school at 14. Um, and that's actually one of my da- most downloaded episodes. People do give me a lot of good feedback on that. And I do think because, you know, lots of kids, if they're not expelled from school, they certainly flirt with it, with the amount of detentions and yes. they get. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's quite a useful one for parents. Um, and I've covered uh, a lady who was hospitalised with depression when she was um, in the midst of taking her A-levels. Um, I've talked to my favorite episode and I, I, I want to say that this is a trigger warning, um, was a lady who self-harmed for 10 years when she was a teenager, started uh-huh. at 14 and, you know, her story of how she ev- began that, went through it, kept doing it and eventually processed it enough to come out the other side. Mm. It's like a light shining when she, when she talks about how things are for her now and how she got there it's wonderful um some and some really very hard things there's uh, unfortunately a lady who was raped when she was 17 um some really tough things but also some some things i never imagined things i'd never thought that teenagers might be going through so uh, a young girl who whose dad was sent to prison when she was 17 out of mm-hmm. the um, and what, it, what impact that had on her, a girl who was a young carer for her mum, who was an alcoholic, mm. um, you know, that was quite hard to listen to. But again, lovely. She was amazing. Um, and a deaf lady who was incredible, who had experienced physical abuse at the hands of her mum's boyfriend. So some quite serious issues. Mm. Mm. And I've got others in the next series coming up in September. Um, eating, I've got someone who had an eating disorder. Um, another, a, a lovely lady who suffered with um, terrible anxiety and panic attacks as a teenager. So really nice things that um, I think are, are quite useful. And I say nice things because they do always end on such a positive note. They've, they've always got such good advice for families that might be going through similar and they're always the best people, aren't they? So when you've been through something yourself, the people who have actually experienced that are always the best people to give advice on that because they've actually lived through it. Totally. And what I didn't realise would happen is that because these are adults, um, they age ranges from 21, probably up to 40, They've also got the benefit of hindsight and so they're able, and a lot of them are parents too, so they're able to give advice to parents in terms of what they they wished their mums and dads had known at the time. Mm. And they're also someone who the teenager themselves can identify with because they've been where that young person is. They've experienced the thing that that girl or boy is going through. And do teenagers listen to your podcast? Do you know at all? I don't know. I actually that don't. That would be interesting to find mm. out, wouldn't it? Or even actually get it into the arena of the teenagers so that they can see that there is really light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Well, uh, this is hopefully the goal. And I do record most of my episodes on Zoom with a view to potentially uploading them to YouTube because I feel that teenagers probably aren't yet listening to podcasts, um, but they do watch an awful lot of YouTube. So that might yes. be a place That's to a good idea. That's a good idea to put them up on YouTube mm. um, because I think a lot of people then will have access to it. 
yes. as opposed to maybe podcasts, as you say, maybe they're not really that popular with that age range of, you know, young teenagers of the younger type, but they are definitely, you know, on YouTube, everybody looks at YouTube. So that's a good way, I think, of getting your message across because it's so needed, Helen. It's so, so needed. So needed. I was talking to a lady today who offers um, advice to parents in a professional capacity on Mm. children with anxiety. And she said her inquiries over the last few months have gone through the roof. So it's interesting to know that that teenagers and she said it was the age range, 12 to 16 year olds, you know, up to 18. It was teenagers who are struggling. It's interesting to see that. It is. And also I was talking to a friend of mine actually earlier and he has two young children um, and he said it's difficult for them. They're under 10, but it's difficult for them being cooped up in the house because we forget that as children, we have our own, you know, anxieties as children. You know, when we were young, we all had, you know, because mental health starts really the moment you arrive on this planet it's depending on the environment that you're born in and you know so it's something that is really really needed and that can provide sort of a basis for strength and hope I think so I think what you're doing is really remarkable yeah thank you I've as I say had such lovely feedback and it's really driven me to to find more people and have more conversations and get them out there definitely definitely and I wish you all the very best in that because um, it's such a noble cause that um, people you know sometimes it's difficult to talk about things and as a nation I think we're not so ready to volunteer how we're feeling but it's definitely something that's changing that I've seen. I don't know about you, but um, it's changing. We're becoming more open, I think. Yeah, I do think that's true. And I think the more stories like these are shared, the more people might feel strong enough to confide in somebody. Yes, yeah, and that there is hope and there is help out there. Absolutely. You know, reminding people of that. Of course, because and that's what these do, because Mm. every single one of my guests has has been through a varying degree of pain as a young person. And young people can't see beyond today, this week, this year. They can't imagine life in their twenties and thirties. So I do think it's it it, it's lovely for them to see Mm. somebody who has made it to adulthood and not just made it but really made it and has a beautiful family and a a lovely job and is happy it gives that thread of hope because you know if you're going through something especially you know with hormones and things as as teenagers are I remember myself as a teenager and you know everything's so dramatical um you know oh my goodness you know oh dear and George Michael and oh dear what's happened to George you know and it's just totally out of proportion but if you know that you know life is actually going to be okay you hang on in there is an important message to put out there yeah, hang on in there is interestingly one of the things, because I always ask every guest at the end, what would you say to that young person that you were, that young person mm. who was in the toilets at school being bullied? Mm. Uh, what would you say to him now? And hang on in there is a really common one. Um, mm. It's going to get better. And I've had you are loved because uh, oh. people just didn't feel important when they were going through these difficult things. It's interesting, actually. It's fascinating what, what people want to say to their younger selves. And also, actually, now, you know, reflecting on what you're saying, Helen, is that we are important. This is the point. We seem to think that we're part of billions of people, but we're actually unique in our own selves. There's nobody out there like us, and there's nobody out there that can do what we can do and we are important exactly that and that one of my guests actually said that coming up in september it's you are you have something unique to offer the world and only you can do that yeah yeah and and i think that's absolutely amazing that we forget that 
that we have so much to give we forget and we need reminders like your podcast for example or mine or whoever's out there we need to be reminded that actually we are beautiful beings absolutely indeed i want to thank you really for coming on the show today it's really been a pleasure and I always ask my guests this actually at the end is that in a paragraph really what advice would you give Helen to people out there that has helped you in your life that has helped you to keep hanging on to hope? I think I would say that you have actually no idea what is going to happen in 10 years time in five years time next year next month or even next week in many cases and so the important thing is to think about what you can influence now and how you can enjoy now because as you said earlier that is all you've got and if you focus on those things you do become a happier person and you do eventually, I think that just takes care of everything else takes care of itself because you will be able to cope. You will be able to deal with whatever comes your way. Have faith in yourself. Wise words indeed. It's true. It gives a sort of peace about life. Yeah, it does. It does. And I don't think many of us realise that we are equipped to deal with whatever life throws at us. We are. We don't realise, I think, how, you know, there's a saying about it, but I do believe that you don't realise how strong you are until you have to be strong. And then I think all those resources of our personality, our character, our soul come out. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. There's um, a, a diabetic comedian who um, you could only make jokes about diabetes if you're diabetic. <laughs> and he's incredible. Yeah. One, one of his jokes is basically um, uh, people saying to him, gosh, you inject yourself in restaurants. How many times a day? I could never do that. And his answer is, well, you could if you would, if the alternative is dying. <laughs> and that, that yeah. is you know, that is it. You, if you don't take your insulin, you'll die. And so you take your insulin. And well, that's the stark reality, isn't it? It is. And that's the truth of life. If you don't live your life, then you wither away. And so you just, you do get on with whatever life throws at you. And life, unfortunately, there is no such thing as a perfect life. I was no. thought there was, and that's what I was striving for. Um, and, but there isn't. Everyone has unhappiness, sadness, trauma, and we are all capable of dealing with it. It's not about really having a perfect life. As you say, it doesn't exist. It's having a life that really we can look back on and have no regrets and say, you know what? I tried and I lived in the best way that I can, in the best way that I could. Yeah, absolutely that. Now, Helen... Where can people get hold of you and find out more about your work, about your podcasts? Where's the best place? Right. So the podcast is Teenage Kicks podcast and it's on all the usual platforms. Just go search Teenage Kicks and mm -hmm. um, ignore the, the punk rock songs. Find <laughs> <laughs> me. Um, uh, the blog is actually mummy.co.uk and I'm on all the social medias, Facebook, I'm actually mummy, Instagram and Twitter. I'm, I am Helen Wills. Okay. So people are free to contact you in, you know, whatever sphere, um, you know, maybe to collaborate, to do whatever they they can feel free to, you know, make contact with you. Of course, even if they just want to chat, uh, I'm there most of the time. Instagram and, and Twitter, I'm there pretty much all the time. And we okay. just chat. <laughs> oh, well, thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I wish you all the very best in your venture. Thank you. You too. It's been lovely. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, really. And um, stay in contact. And as you know, really come again if you start all your 
new projects that you know you spoke about come again and tell us about it i'd love to that would be great oh all right then we'll take care thank you bye 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 helen wills extraordinary story really about how something so unexpected that can happen in one's life can actually be a blessing and ultimately we never know the journey where it's going to take us it is really up to us how we decide to really deal with it and grasp that moment thank you so much really for joining me i really do appreciate you all and till next time take care and lots of love thank you for listening to secrets for an inspirational life brought to you by your host mimi novik please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode for more information about mimi novik and her books music and inspirational work take a look at her website www.miminovic.co.uk